You know, we started last week by necessity. We started a topic, um, and, and not really an exciting topic, and, but, but necessary. And we talked about anti-Semitism, and I told you that that's what I wanted to talk about for a little while because it's very, very important. And some, some people could say, well, you know, I, I want to learn about the Bible. Like, I, I want spiritual things. Well, this is about the Bible. This is about the manipulation, the desecration, and the molestation of the Bible by history. And so, unfortunately, we need to spend some time in history. I hope that we have people in, in this class, I was going to say this class, who like history. This isn't a class, it's a congregation. But today, in a sense, it is history. So I want you to put your academic hat on. We are going to eventually get to the place of the significant spiritual significance of what we're talking about here. But today, we start with a quote. What defies explanation in the Holocaust is the magnitude of hatred that overflowed upon the Jews. At this point in world history, evil jumped off the scale of computation. Such annihilating hatred cannot be understood as the effect of causes that historians normally analyze. When every social, economic, and political factor has been taken into account, the question still remains, why? Why? The extension of why in this case, how? The question is, why? Why such a hate? And the message today is called the unique hatred of anti-Semitism because anti-Semitism is like nothing else on earth. And I'm going to explain it to you from the spiritual and historical sense today. So tune in, take some notes, and put this in the part of your brain that is quick and easy to recall things because you may need it in the days ahead. Why? I will tell you the answer. It's very basic. It starts with one word, xenophobia. Who can, def who can define xenophobia for me? Judy. Fear, phobia of foreigners or strangers. So yes, different people. Hating different people. This is or fear of or hatred, and sometimes they're not, they're not that far apart from one another. This is an ancient and universal concept in human nature. We often fear that which is different. And you look at the basis for many, many, many hateful acts and wars and every other thing that's happened in history. Xenophobia is at the root of some of these things. But in particular, when it comes to Jewish people, this is the foundation stone. Because Jews are different. Jews are different. Why? Because they were supposed to be. Because God said, I actually want you to be different. The entire idea of Judaism, of Abraham, beginning with, he was a what? Monotheist. What was he surrounded by? Polytheists, idol worshipers. 
Abraham to Moses to the people of Israel to receiving the Torah, what did he say? I want you to be a holy priesthood, a chosen people. I want you to be different. And different is very closely related to our definition of the word kadosh. What does holy actually mean? When something is, it, when something is not holy, it is common. It's not unholy, it's common. It's not holy, meaning it's not sanctified. It's not set apart. Holy simply means set apart. So when something is used for a holy purpose, a set-apart purpose for the worship of God, even our siddurim, like the Word is in those books, they're holy books, they're, they're set-apart books. We don't put them on the floor. We don't do things with them because they are holy. That's what God wanted the Jewish people to be. We've done a sort of okay job with that and the fact that we're all still here. But not perfect. But nevertheless... Deuteronomy 4 very clearly says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to follow these commandments. And when all the nations see you, they're going to say, wow, what kind of nation has a God like this who gives them these amazing mitzvot? And so what will they be? They will be set apart for a purpose. Whose purpose? If you're not Jewish, your purpose your purpose, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 49, Zechariah 8. Isaiah, uh, 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 in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. Is it about Yeshua? Yes, it's about Yeshua. Is it about Israel? Yes, it's about Israel. Because Yeshua represents Israel, the King of Israel. It's a Messianic prophecy. It's an Israel prophecy. It's a Gentile nation's prophecy. Isaiah 49, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Zechariah 8. Remember Zechariah 8? I don't know how these scriptures are forgotten by anti-Semites or replacement theologians. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of the hosts. Of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts. Where will they do it? In Jerusalem. And to entreat the favor of the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts in those days, often men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard God is with you. And therefore, we were chosen to be different. Chosen people, that's haughty, that's cocky. It is not, remember Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof? Chosen people. Choose somebody else. But here's the problem. In Rome, Judaism was a legal religion. Do you know why? Because it was so absurd to the Romans. That, that I mean, who in their right mind is going to give up drunk orgies for monotheism? 
Who's going to give up this lifestyle that we have where we can do anything we want and serve every God and they're running around naked? Who's going to give that up? No one. Well, wrong. Actually wrong. Here's the problem with Judaism when it comes to paganism. It's attractive. It was attractive. Jews were not like major, majorly into proselytizing, but there were converts. There were many converts. And we can read historically in Juvenal, the playwright of Rome, Tacitus, the historian of Rome. I want you to listen to what they say. Tacitus, Tacitus observes, it is a crime among them, the Jews, to kill any newborn infant. They hold that the souls of all who perish in battle or by the hands of the executioner are immortal. Hence a passion for propagating their race and contempt for death. Do you know what that is? That is an innate human quality given by God. That should be attractive to all of us. To him, it's crazy that they believe that. Juvenal writes, uh, he speaks of the proselytes, the God-fearers, also called proselytes of the porch, who not daring to take the definite step observed one or other Jewish customs such as the Sabbath. However, their sons often became proselytes, became Jews. God-fearers living a life of, here's what it says, Juvenal continues, he who happens to have had a father who observed the Sabbath will adore only the clouds and the spirit of the sky, meaning one God, the one in heaven. He will, soon eat, he will as soon eat human flesh as that of swine from which his father abstained. Soon he will become circumcised, raised in scorn of the Romans. He learns, observes, reveres only the Judaic law, all of which Moses transmitted to his followers in a mysterious book. He is taught not to show the way to the traveler who does not practice the same rites and to lead only the circumcised to the fountain. All of this because his father passed every seventh day in sloth without taking part in the duties of life. Problem. It was attractive. And that was okay for Rome because it was, as I said, more than that, it was absurd to them and their way of, of reasoning. But that changed. Do you know how it changed? Something was birthed. Do you know what was birthed? The Christian religion. And here's what happened. The idea of the Jews being chosen could no longer jive. Very early on, we see the church fathers writing of replacing Israel, and we know what supersessionism is, and we know what replacement theology is. We understand that that was in many, many of the first church fathers' writings. Jews, out of the picture, Christians in. Chosen people, not chosen people. Besides, who do they think they are? Chosen, that's haughty. Well, let me tell you something about chosen people. Here's the challenge. Anybody can become Jewish. We do not have an exclusive right to this. Any person who desires to join that religion is allowed to convert and become a proselyte. 
So how can we possibly say we're the only ones, we're the chosen ones, we're the only one? These people were converting, and therein lies a very, very difficult problem because Judaism did not lose its attractiveness despite the best efforts. By the fourth century, there are councils passing law upon law to prevent Christians any interaction with Jews. Do not celebrate the Passover when they do it. Do not have anything to do with the Jews. Don't marry Jews. Don't do this. You can't do this. Why? Because they were still wanting to be connected. And they said, they'll draw you away from Jesus. They're going to take you away. Could they? Yes. Do they today? Do we still have people who come into the Messianic movement who come in and then end up walking away from Yeshua and become Jews? Yes. Do you know why? The same reason it happened then. Because if you cannot present a picture of Messiah Yeshua that makes some rational sense, it's very hard to hold on to it. And in this crazy world of paganism, and I was this, and now I'm that, and but there, this, and that. Yeah, it was easy to be led astray. But with all the man-made things and everything that came around, it was very, very difficult. So, so the church councils did this. I want to read you something else. There was, a, there was a prayer that was said in the Catholic church. Well, it was kind of the Catholic church. It was the custom that around Easter we fast and mourn over them, the Jews, because when our Lord came among the Jewish nation, they did not believe Him when He did teach them. But the majority of Christians very rapidly rejected this point of view. And in a very short amount of time, from the 9th century on, certain sacramentaries of the Roman liturgy expressly directed pro Judeus non flectant. That means do not genuflect to the Jews. Do not give them any credence. Do not bow and, pray and ask God to show them mercy. Don't do that. And by the fourth century, our good friend John Chrysostom, the bishop in Antioch, the Christian, Mr. Goldenmouth, had this to say about the Jews. And by the way, pause. There are volumes of quotes and all kinds of things you can read about what the people said about the Jews and all that. I, that's not my point. I'm not, I don't want to go into that. You can look that up if you want to. But this is just one highlight of Brother Chrysostom. Murderers of the Lord, assassins of the prophets, rebels, detesters of the God, they outrage the law, resist grace, repudiate the faith of the fathers, companions of the devil, race of vipers, informers, darkeners of the mind, Pharisaic leaven, Sanhedrin of demons, accursed, detested, lapidators, I don't even know what that means, enemies of all that is beautiful. That was Gregory of Nyssa, actually. This is our... This is John Chrysostom. Brothel and theater. The synagogue is also a cave of pirates and a lair of wild beasts, living for their belly, mouth forever gaping. The Jews behave no better than hogs and goats in their lewd grossness and their excesses of gluttony. They can do one thing only, gorge themselves with food and drink. Saint John Chrysostom. Quoted. But here's, uh, here's one of the more interesting things. There is uh, just... 
as, so I can, I can show you the attractiveness of Judaism that was still going on. And understand, there was a period of time where Jews were able to interact in society. France, for example, Rashi, great medieval scholar writing in the late first millennium in France. There was peace, there was property, there was business, there were things that Jews could do. But there was still this attitude. And this goes to my point of saying the attractiveness of Jews. This is Saint Agobard who was in France who did not like the fact that the Jews were included in anything. In effect, matters have reached the point where the ignorant Christians claim that the Jews preach better than our own priests. Some Christians even celebrate the Sabbath with Jews and violate the blessed day of rest. Many women live as domestics or as paid laborers for the Jews who lure some from their faith. My point is, it was attractive and that was a problem. But it just kind of was for a while until the next thing happened. What we had here was what I will call religious anti-Semitism. Okay? Religious anti-Semitism. The church needed to get rid of the Jews because they were a conflict to the mission of the church. But because we have Jesus, we're not going to commit genocide and against an entire people. We're not just going to mass slaughter, though many were. We're not just going to mass slaughter them in Holocaust Hitler style because we love Jesus. And besides, your Judaism, that nastiness that's around you, we can wash that off with Jesus. Okay? You can be changed. So your religion, your religious aspect, we can change that. So I don't want you to worry about that, Jews. You're nasty. You're gross. We hate you. But we can fix you with Jesus. And that held for a while. Religious anti-Semitism. And then what happened? Who knows, who knows what monumental event happened in the year 1096? Well, pause. It actually goes back before that. We talked last week about Jew hatred. Pharaoh threatened by the Jews. Why? They're different. They're strong. They're going to take us over. We had, uh, who else? Nebuchadnezzar. You know, we had an exile. We had the Jews kicked out. But what's interesting about exiles in the Bible is once the Jews got to the exiled land, they were treated pretty well. They could live. They could function. They served in the courts. They served with the kings. I mean, it was not what it later became. But we had the exiles. And then our first real taste Biblically speaking, though it's not technically in the Bible, it is a historical fact, is our, is our uh, pig-eating Antiochus Epiphanes, right? We're coming up to Hanukkah, and what did he do? He hated the Jews. He hated everything about the Jews. They were despicable. I want you to eat pork. That would come back around later. Antiochus, the Antiochus the loon. His way would come back around later. But we had Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Titus destroying Israel, Antiochus prior to that, our first real. We had the church fathers, religious anti-Semitism. But then in the year 1096, something happened. Yes, the first crusade. What was the first crusade about? Saladin, right? The Arab, the grand 
grand general, the grand guy who took back Israel. He killed all these people and Christians who were living in Israel, and he took back Jerusalem. And what was the story of the Crusades? We're going back to get the Holy Land. We're going to take it from these marauding Arabs. However, light bulb, got a great idea. All these Christ killers live in our own communities. And there's a lot of Jews on the way. Why in the world would we not kill them too? Why would we allow, why would we only, why would we only kill the Arabs? Let's kill the Jews. And so at that point, it really began. Marauding through towns, locking Jews in synagogues with their families, slitting babies' throats, burning people inside synagogues. Why? In the name of Jesus. Now, anybody in this room or anybody in the world who's listening to me right now who says to me, I just don't get it. I just don't get it why they don't accept Jesus. What's wrong with these Jews? That's part of what's wrong with them. So that's where it started. And what happens next? Stick with me for this very, very brief timeline. 1096, the first crusade, there were three. Millions, millions killed. 1290, all the Jews are expelled from London. There was a massacre in York. There was a massacre in Tours. There were massacres everywhere. Why? Because they killed Jesus. I mean, geez. In 1144, prior to that, everyone familiar with blood libel? You know what this is? Blood libel was the story started in Europe that the Jews on Passover Eve or somewhere around Passover, this particular incident was about a week before Passover, that they take a kid or somebody, kid, kid makes the story better, kill him, usually mock, crucify him to make fun of Jesus, and then take the blood and mix it in with their dough to make their Passover matzah. Blood libel. Do you know that in 1946 in Poland, a Jew was still killed over the blood libel story? Do you know how many Jews have been killed for the blood libel story? Where they would find a murdered child somewhere around Passover or a dead child, murdered or not, drowned. The Jews did it. Go and drag them out of their homes and kill them. 1144, the first blood libel. 1290, expelled from England. 1347, this is one of my favorites. Any historians? 1347, big year. Bad year, bad couple of years. Black plague. Bubonic plague. What caused the black plague, remember? Well, that's, that's the right answer, but it, some, some idiots think it was fleas and rats. But we all know it was the Jews. And how did they do it? They poisoned the wells. They poisoned the water supply. They poisoned everything. Why? Because they're Jews. And, and monks and priests and righteous Gentiles rose to the defense of the Jews and said, please, 
Please be reasonable. Jews are dying from the very same plague. I know, well, they have to have somebody. They can't make it that obvious. I know, but there's areas where no Jews are and people are dying, but they spread like wildfire. They're insidious. It was a plague caused by fleas and rats, but the Jews did it. 1347, all hell is about to break loose. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and a whole bunch of Jews died too. 1492, the Alhambra decree. Where did they get kicked out of? Spain. Convert or die. We make fun of Muslims. We, we deride, we chide Muslims because they convert or die, infidel. Do you know how many times my Jewish people have been told convert or die? Eat this pork or die? Stupid things like, like a teenage prank. Eat the pork, man, or we're going to beat you up. Except now we're going to kill you and your whole family. So all hell breaks loose, but something changes in this time period. The dehumanization of the Jew. Now it is not just enough that you are denier of Christ, killer of Christ. It's not enough that you might try to lead people away from Christ. Now you're worse than that. You are below human. Do you know why? Because it turns out that Jews and Satan are co-conspirators in everything. John Chrysostom said it in the 4th century, but it really took its full form in the late Middle Ages and, and into Spain and the Inquisition and everything that happened after that. Because now you Jews are vile. You're innately evil. You are possessed by the devil. You kill our babies. You do all these evil things because you are, as the New Testament said, the sons of Satan. Synagogues of Satan in Revelation. Yeshua's own words say, sons of Satan. I've called my brother some really bad names. I didn't actually believe them. I was just mad at the time. So what we see happen is anytime you intend to murder a human, that human needs to be beneath human in the estimation of the world's mind. And that is not exclusive to Jews. African slaves dehumanized. A number of horrendous atrocities. Not all done in the name of God, but many dehumanized. But there's something more. As the church fathers called them, dogs and vermin and lower than scum, agents of Satan, some new twists began to emerge. The Catholic Church forbid Christians from loaning money to anyone at interest. It's called usury. Today, usury has a different definition. It means like illegal, illegally high levels of interest. Criminally, criminally like abusing somebody by their loans. Usury. But at the time, usury just meant that I loan you money for, for, with interest. And what happened? Who picked it up? Who was forced 
to pick up the loaning money. Well, every other thing had been taken from the Jews. You cannot own land. You cannot have businesses. You can't even live in certain areas. Ghetto, we know the word ghetto. It's from the word in Hebrew, divorce. And Italian, Rubio Antonio, ghetto. Get-o. Divorced from society. Put into these little tiny areas. What did the Jews do? The princes and the church people and the rulers said, you know what? You're going to be the one who does the money now. We are holy and cannot lend money to our brothers with interest. Do you know where they got that? The Torah. Because the Torah says, well, Jews don't lend, in, don't lend at interest to other Jews. Gross, disgusting Jews. Look what they do. Well, now we want you to do that. We want you to do that for the Christians. But here's the twist. Many of the Jews that were some of your even prominent members, lenders in societies, they were kind of like the right hand of the prince, not by choice, or the king. And so the king would say, I want you to, I, I want you to lend this money and I want you to give me this percentage of it. Massive, high, illegally bad deals And behind the scenes, the Jew needs to give the prince all the money. And what is seen in public? Dirty, stingy, greedy Jew. Look what he's doing. They're destroying our society by raping us financially. And so Jews are relegated to money. But here is the next evolution because this is the important thing. We had theological or religious anti-Semitism which I described. Now we have something else that's emerged. We have racial anti-Semitism and they are not the same thing. Because as I said, religious anti-Semitism, you can change that. You can accept Jesus. When you are a dirty, nasty, despicable co-conspirator of Satan because you just are, because you're just Jewish, you can't change it. And that changes everything. Because the first conspiracy theory, do you know what it was? The first one, by the way, most conspiracy theories are for idiots. No offense to my son who loves to read conspiracy theories. I love him anyway. Kidding. You're not an idiot. I love you. In every way, I'm proud of you. But most conspiracy theories are for idiots. They feed on the ignorant. We have some going around these days. Flat Earth. Uh, I won't even. I'm not even. Anti-Semitism is a strange form of prejudice, Olivia Goldhill writes in The Jewish Voice. Rather than denigrating Jews as inferior... It casts them as maliciously superior. It's a bias that's as popular on the left as on the right. Usually prejudices are discourses of inferiority. Women are less capable than men. Sexual minorities are deviant and sinful. Racial minorities are less capable, says Eric Hines, human rights law professor, expert on, this, on the Holocaust anti-Semitism. The most powerful forms of anti-Semitism, including those deployed by the Nazis and the Soviet Union, are just the opposite. It's that Jews are too clever. They're too powerful. 
Historically, anti-Semitism is the first conspiracy theory. So we got you on all counts, Jews. Your dogs, your devils, your despicable, you poison our wells, you kill our children, and, and, you're smart. You're wicked, you're insidious, you get in, you're in all the powers, you're in all the places of power, and you are taking us out. We can't even see you. Robert Bowers, the psychopath who went into Eitz Chaim, do you know what he said on the way out? I told you part of it. I just want to kill Jews. And this part, they're committing genocide against our people. 2% of the world's population is committing genocide against the entire world? You idiot! But the conspiracy holds. They're in Hollywood. They own all the media channels. The Federal Reserve Chairman is actually the Antichrist because he's a Jew. They have all the money, they have all the influence, and they're manipulating the medical system. Do you know how many Jews are doctors? I want to tell you how many Jews are doctors because this is a great point about the absolute ignorance that has propagated anti-Semitism for the last thousands of years. Just, just, some, just some doctor points because, uh, let's see, where is that quote? Where is that quote? Did I put that in here? Darn, I don't think I did. I didn't put it in here, but there's a quote. This is such a great volume uh, that's in our library, The History of Anti-Semitism. You can learn so much. But there's a quote in here that says, Something along the lines of, it's better to die in an agonizing death under any circumstance than to allow a Jew to come close to you to offer medical care. Do you know why? Remember I told you about Saladin, the great conqueror? Do you know who Saladin's son's doctor was? The Rambam. You remember the Rambam, right? Maimonides. Great, great physician. Though Jews comprised only 1% of the population of Europe in the Middle Ages, roughly half of its physicians were Jewish. There is a quote from the 13th century Ramon Lowell complained, Jews are universally entrusted by the great with the care of their health. Nor is the church free from this abomination for nearly every monastery has its Jewish physician. Goes on, Jews have accounted for some 40% of U.S. Nobel, Nobel, Nobel Prizes in medicine, constitute over one-third of the combined membership of the Life Sciences Division of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences and its affiliated Institute of Medicine. Conspiracy Jews! 
Do you know how many lives are estimated to be saved by Jewish doctors and medical science? 2.8 billion lives saved by the advances of Jews in healthcare from this time forward. But that's what I can get out of you and that's what it's always been. Jews will use you when we need you. But it doesn't change the fact, and it never will, that you are... It's, it's, it's such a hilariously ridiculous concept. You are scum, and you are a genius. But that's how it works. And that's what makes anti-Semitism a unique form of hatred. It's religious, it's racial, it's superior, it's inferior, and the bottom line is you cannot change it. There is nothing that you can do about it. You see, Arabs, Arabs hate anyone who's not Arab, or I'm sorry, Muslim. But you can change that. Christians and, and unbelievers, obviously Christians don't hate unbelievers. We want to, the idea is to love them and share Yeshua. But the thing is, you can change that. You can accept Yeshua. But when you are a demon-possessed agent of Satan wreaking havoc on society with the intention of destroying the world for your Jewish agenda, that cannot be changed and it cannot be tolerated. And so, there is the widest doorway in 2018 and 19 for this to continue. And this is where I will take us next week because that was then. This is now. And now looks amazingly better, right? Because we're such a progressive and tolerant, wonderful society that clearly this could never happen. Oh my goodness. Is it happening in ways that only Satan could craft? Because now what does anti-Semitism look like? How does it operate? It operates in idiots like Robert Bowers. But it operates much more profoundly, much more dangerously, and much more insidiously in the name of human rights. Jews are the enemy. Jews have no compassion for people. Look at these Palestinians. And I'm not going to give away too much of where we're going, but I do want to give you some history next week as well. Because I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if you're on the left, if you're a leftist, a rightist, a middleist, an aboveist, a belowist. America, thank God, is the least anti Semitic country on earth. 
About 9%, I think, was the rate in a certain series of questions that were put out by the Anti-Defamation League to countries around the world. 9% of Americans answered the questions in such a way that they could be judged as anti-Semitic. About 27 or 28% in England and Europe. 76% in the Arab countries. Of course, that's not a surprise, but do you know how it got that way? It's not that long ago. It's not that long ago that that happened. And amazingly, Adolf Hitler has a lot to do with that too. So, anti-Semitism has not changed. That's how we got to where we are right now. But the mechanism is changing. Convince the ignorant in the name of good. And that's where we will pick up next week. Shabbat Shalom. Again, I, I, I love to like be happy and give great and awesome uplifting messages, but I'm going to, give, I'm going to get you there. It's going to be about you because what else do we care about except us, right? Kidding. So stick with me. Stick with me and do me a favor. Share. Share the things that we're talking about and doing in here. They're posted on Facebook. Share them. We have a podcast. These are things that I think more people need to know, that they need to understand, and they need to share. Please do that.